shepherd would you please stop rattling those papers? It is very distracting and makes my bird whistle. Well, of course, many people have problems with their bird whistling. And, uh, <laughs> need. Uh, we'd have to salute a, uh, a resident of California who had one of those moments in life that one cannot ignore. It seems that his name was Vince and he was remodeling his house when a dog scampered into the basement and dug up some old bones. And uh, not only were there bones, there were human rib cages, human leg bones, the human jawbone was there, and uh, very other uh, interesting skeletal remains. Well, Vince immediately called homicide detectives who found that the bones had belonged to a, a certain Carl Berry, who happens to be the name of our engineer here tonight. Uh, it, it seems that Mr. Berry, however, was a medical student who had lived in the home in the 1920s. He used the skeletal parts in his uh, <clears throat> homework, and then he disposed of them in the basement, hid them in the walls there. <laughs> you mean you found that old bag of bones? Asked 75-year-old uh, Dr. Berry, who was still hanging around. Gee, uh, I, I wish I was there so I could tell you where there's some other stuff that I have buried around the house. Great, Scott. Would you please salute uh, the human tragedy? <laughs> See, that's just a lesson. Your level will wind up in somebody's wall. I mean, after all, that was a walking around human being. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, these these are the kind of things. You know, you may be living in a house there for for years, you know, and you don't know what's in the walls. Uh, especially if you got an old house, you could have almost anything living down in the basement. Have you noticed any curious smells that you've not been able to explain, huh? Well, uh, there may be just mold creeping up behind the. Uh, the shower stall, but it may be something more interesting than that. Like, well, I'll tell you a little story of it like that. I'll t you know, there's always, there's always the homemaker type, you know, who gets one of these books that says, uh, fix up your own house with uh, your own home tools, and uh, you buy it, you know, it comes paperback and tells you how to make lampshades out of old uh, Valentine beer cans and stuff like that. You know that kind of stuff, see? Well, uh, this friend of mine in Cincinnati, <laughs> he got the fix up the house bug and uh, he got himself a book and he went out and bought himself a Sears Roebuck plane and they went down to monkey wards and he got himself a couple of hacksaws and junk you know and, and he went out and he bought himself some plywood and he, what he was going to do he was going to make what is euphemistically called a playroom you remember when they used to have playrooms well that's all over now people don't play anymore life is serious life is not a game uh, prior to the playroom there was a thing called the rumpus room uh, before that, they had a thing called the coal bin. So what we're doing uh, is giving you a a uh, small tour of uh, the evolution of the American house. Today, it's now called the media room, uh, which shows you what's happened to the human condition. Nobody plays or rumpuses anymore. They all just sit and gawk at Rhoda, which uh, shows that we've gone way downhill. <laughs> I'll tell you. Would you please... Well, uh, another one, Carl, please. Give me a salute to the human condition. Oh, yeah. God Almighty, that's what's happened to your mind, friend. You sit there and look at Rhoda too much, and it's gone. Forget it. Has it occurred to you that the mind, like old furniture, is capable of getting wormholes in it? Yes, the mind, like any other muscle, should be exercised. You know, everybody's jogging like crazy because they're all, you know... See, intellect is going out the window. 
totally intellect. Any man of intellect cannot jog. Why? Because jogging is the second dullest activity ever created by the poor, sad mind of man. Anyone with imagination after about five minutes of just running up and down a road goes bananas. So uh, the dumber you are, the better the jogger you are. This is an old rule of thumb. It's an inverse ratio. <laughs> it's one over IQ equals <laughs> J over X. <laughs> That's a nice little formula there. It's an inverse ratio. The uh, the the yes. The the more the more you find yourself able to sit and watch a CBS golf tournament. Watch, I said. I didn't say play. I said watch. The better the jogger you will be. Bum bum bum. Would you please once again, Carl? If you will. There it comes again. <laughs> oh my God! Oh my God! smokes out. Uh, well, all right, that was... So, uh, everybody is working every muscle except their mind. The one muscle that nobody exercises these days is the mind, because that, first of all, can get you fired. Uh, you know, we're coming up to the time of, uh, of the year-end uh, company cocktail party and all that, and if you start getting your mind going too good, no telling what you might say after a couple of snifters of eggnog. You might tell the truth about the company. And out of the water you go with a great splash and a roar of a 155 shell. And uh, then you're going to do a lot of jogging. You know, you can just get out there and keep running around looking for work. Uh, that's, by the way, one of the best of the uh, new uh, motivations and exercises that people are using. It's a yoga thing, really, to contemplate the ultimate job. And you just run around town, continually running, and you'll get your legs in good shape and everything else. That's a good way. But uh, getting back to, uh, to the cataclysm of the mind, my friend, of course, was one of the very earliest uh, to turn a coal bin into a rumpus room. And uh, actually, he was right in between the transition between the rumpus room and the playroom. You see, society got a little more popular. Uh, Popular-minded, pop-minded, if I can say it that way. And uh, play was more popular than rumpusing. What is, incidentally, the plural of rumpus? You know, they said, boy, we had to have a rumpus last night. It is, a, is it rumpi? A rumpy? Uh, and, and, and when a person is involved in this, is he called a rumpiest? Uh, or, is he, or, <laughs> or is his life called rumpian? You see, I like to play with words like that because uh, it keeps the mind. That this is my form of jogging. Keeps the mind agile, clean-limbed, and uh, sinews are just fantastic in a mind that plays with words like rumpian. However, is that <laughs> you see how it goes? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, who was uh, who was uh, was Rumpelstiltskin a rumpian? And what nationality was Rumpelstiltskin? You remember, why do you say German? Rumpelstiltskin is not a German name. Well, you guys say German to everything I say, so I don't know what it is. That's what happens when you're a beer drinker. However, nevertheless, and you like Braunschweiger, but uh, nonetheless, uh, <laughs> we've got to keep with the subject here. And the subject is, you don't know what the hell's down in your basement. I mean, hiding in the walls. You really don't. And my friend George, we will call him George. Primarily because his name was George, and is George. And I might add, ever since that day, his hair has consistently fallen out, and now he makes 
Telly Savalas look a little like Mick Jagger. He's got an honestly bald head. And uh, yes, indeed, at night it glows. And uh, so nevertheless, he, George got this, and at that time he had this great mop of hair. See, he lost it all in about five minutes. What happened was, George got this book, you know, on how to fix up your coal bin and make it into this, gra- you know, it's really great playroom where you have an English dart set, you know, and you throw darts. Uh, they threw darts for five minutes in his house, and then the damn thing hung there, you know, for years. And nobody, <laughs> I wonder how many people, you know, say, hey, you know, that looks like fun, Madge. And uh, they go out and buy it. It's, I'll tell you one of the, one of the, there are certain things that are made that are designed to be put in closets to be sold at flea market sales 40 years hence. They're not to be used. And, and you can always tell during the during the uh, year, you can just tell what time of year it is by turning on a television set and looking at the commercials. You can't tell by the shows because the shows are all reruns now. The whole world is reruns. I mean, for all we know, Bob Newhart may have died and uh, moved to Egypt or something. They're all reruns. Everything is a rerun. And they don't worry about... Uh, uh, about any of the uh, old uh, holiday ideas. You know, when they used to have reruns, they would say, well, it's Christmas time, we have a Christmas show. No way. I mean, right in the middle of summer, you're going to see a Thanksgiving show right there on uh, on, the <laughs> on the Bob Newhart show. Oh, they're continually having Christmas shows early in May on Mary Tyler Moore. So, uh, you know, it's a rerun. People's mind is all confused now. You know, you turn on the, on the TV set and, and all of a sudden you see... Uh, you see Rhoda, and they're going to a Fourth of July picnic, and the snow is seven feet deep outside of your house, so you don't know where you are. I mean, television is no reality at all. However, if you watch the commercial, that's where reality is. Absolutely. Because they're keyed to the seasons. Oh, absolutely. Right now, what is it? It's uh, winter, right? Well, already all the commercials are being made for midsummer in various studios around town. They've got They've got sand spread on the floor there, see? And they got this girl lying there under the lights, and there's a guy sitting by her side, and they've got this freezer full of Schlitz beer, and uh, they're singing, When you want a beer, you want a really good one. And uh, it's, uh, they're doing all this stuff now, you see. Uh, Christmas uh, commercials are done in midsummer. I have done many of them. Midsummer, it's hard to get into the mood. You know, you come in there, you know, and Santa Claus is waiting there for you. It's... July, the temperature's 115, but they only put them on when the right season comes. So watch the commercials. Whenever you see thousands of commercials for vegetable choppers, that's Christmas. You know those things where they up and down and they're slicing tomatoes and they're slicing onions and they're chopping up the cucumbers? You've seen those things. You never see those until the last month before Christmas. They are designed to be sold as Christmas gifts, not to be used. Nobody ever uses those in March, April, May, and July. They just give them back and forth to each other. Oh, no, no. If you use it, I'd like to see all the Band-Aids that you buy. But uh, nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, you see these things come out. Electric knives is another thing. Whenever you start seeing electric ni- electric razors, this is uh, you see thousands of those. I must have received as Christmas gifts... 40, 50, 200 electric razors, which I now use as uh, paperweights. I have one that's wind-driven. It says for the real outdoorsman who has no access to uh, 
has no access whatsoever to power. I have a wind-driven razor, and it's got a little propeller sticks out at the top, you know, and you can use it for water-driven. It has a little paddle wheel. You stick it out, put it in the stream. It's great, you know. Only one problem, it doesn't cut your whiskers, but it makes a lot of noise. It buzzes good. And so uh, what I do is I, I have that as a really great camp doorstop. Do you remember camp? Yes, indeed. Have you noticed that how almost all the cars in America today are being sold by guys that come on with an accent, you know? They say things like, uh, well, when I am a man who wants to know what I am, I get in my new Columbia Zippy Whoopermobile. I sit in here and it's luxury. And I sing Volari. Have you seen those? Uh, they're all like that. Well, you know, anything that's foreign seems better to most people all over the world. Are you aware that in Europe, all the foreign cars, all the, they're domestic there, are being sold by little short, fat guys from Cleveland with crew cuts? Well, of course, it seems very exotic to them. So if a guy all of a sudden is shown driving a, you know, a BMW or something, and he comes on and he's German, that doesn't mean anything to a German. But if you get a guy say, Hey, gang, I'm Butch McAllister from Cleveland. I want to tell you, these are some hell of a cars, you know? They're really great cars. When I get in this car, I say, You're really Butch McAllister from Cleveland. It gives me a feeling of, I know who I am. And I like to sing a little song. Roll out the barrel, or I have a barrel of fun. And they're really selling cars over there, because it's exotic, you know? Rollery. Uh, you, <laughs> you know, there's a stripper around called Polyester Double Knit. Polyester. That's a good old American name, Polly, Esther. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'll never forget Polly. Uh, I really want one of the, my, my earliest education uh, in the, what could be called the biological side of life. Uh, one time, Schwartz uh, gave me a terrific little book, which I read avidly. It was called Polly and Her Pals. It came with little blue covers. Fantastic. I'll tell you, that would make a great book of the month club selection. Da, 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 da. Later on, he got one that was called uh, Maggie and Jigs. That was even better. Terrific. And then he had one called Olive Oil and Popeye. That was fantastic. That was really great. Then there was one with Mickey Mouse in it. Mickey and Minnie, it was called. Boy, those, those kids that go to see them at the Disney World should know what kind of a life they live after hours. Oh, well, uh, nevertheless, so we got to get back. Now, you want to hear about my friend George, don't you? Didn't think I was going to do it, right? You know George, the one who was going to fix his... Oh, you, oh, don't you remember that? Or does it seem like last year to you that I was talking about George, who was going to make his coal bin into a rumpus room? <laughs> I did get back to it. Anyway, uh, you know, it was one of the great educational moments in my life. Uh, because, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't fix things. I mean, I'm... I'm a non-fixer. When a house goes bad, I throw it away. Just you know, that's the way life is. Some guys, no, I do. I, I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a grubber. Yeah, I never happen. In fact, I'm downright profligate. Yeah, I'm probably the only guy you know who throws away ballpoint pens that don't work anymore. I know people keep them. I know one guy that's got them stacked up like cordwood in his basement. He figured, eh, you never know, you know. I said, what do you mean you never know? Well, you never know. It may start working again. I said, no, it won't. Nothing starts working again. I, I, you're listening to the only guy who ever actually threw away a watch. Just threw it away. 
Why? It was rotten. I threw it away. Why? Why do you throw anything away? Why do you throw away potato peelings? Or don't you? <laughs> well, uh, nevertheless, uh, I'm profligate. I'm really profligate. Reminds me of a pro... <laughs> Sorry. But uh, being profligate has its advantages. You do not find yourself burdened with junk. There are some people who like to surround their lives with junk. What was the name of those two guys that lived in this town once uh, in New York? And they had their whole house filled with all the junk and crud and and uh, just absolutely nothing stuff uh, that they had collected all of their life. They couldn't throw away a newspaper, an old sardine can. They had everything piled up in their house until finally, uh, you know, there they were living uh, in this cave. And that's all. They had a little hole, uh, like a hole hollowed out. And it was getting smaller. <laughs> yeah, you remember that famous story? Well, uh, you know, that's only an extension of the way a lot of people are. You go down into the basement of many people's houses, and you're going to find tennis rackets from 1910. You know, well, one day I may get it resprung, you know, and uh, forget it. You know, you find uh, all old lost hobbies or people that can't throw away stuff that they that they collected once when they were nine, you know, when they were making uh, hollowed-out wooden canoes out of balsa wood. Now they got pieces of balsa wood. Never know. I may start that again. You know, it's a great hobby. So uh, I I, uh, <laughs> I just throw everything out. People, everything. I, I like to clear my life out about every three years. See, and I tell everybody around me, I says, you know, the time for the shoot is coming soon. I said, what do you mean? Well, I have this shoot. And uh, every three years, I just reach over and grab a hold of the big old handle there to crank. Down it goes. Everybody. Crasho. And uh, then I start over again. It's a great feeling, I'll tell you. It's like, uh, it's like uh, you know, after you haven't shaved for about a month, and then you, you take a shave. It's just way clean and lean. Just wonderful. I wonder how many people out there would like to get rid of everybody in their life. We're allowing you a few seconds to contemplate that glorious thought. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I could see, you know, all over, all over the uh, eastern seaboard... People are saying to other people, what does he mean? I, this man makes no sense. And uh, Charles is just sitting there saying, oh, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, I sure don't. <laughs> oh, well. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, you know, uh, <laughs> man was not born to have barnacles live on him. Right? Friends, there's two kinds of people in this world. There's the sturdy ship bottoms, and then there's the barnacles. Which one are you? A ship bottom or a barnacle? You think, yeah, everybody says, oh, I'm a ship bottom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Listen, the louder you holler that, the more inclined and apt you are to be a real dedicated barnacle. I'll tell you that. First of all, ship bottoms aren't listening to this show, for starters. <laughs> you wonder, what are they doing? Well, they're out dragging all the rest around and paying the bills. That's what they're doing. <laughs> they don't have time to sit around and listen to the radio. Are you kidding? <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, uh, there are two kinds of people, you know. And, uh, my friend George, you see, had this wife. We talk about barnacles. I'll tell you, she even had shells growing on her. And uh, 
And uh, she was always, uh, you know, nagging George. We ought to do something about the house. We ought to do something about the house, see? So George, George, you know, he figured, well, all right, what the hell? I'll do something about the house. So uh, finally he went on and he got this book. And uh, this, is, this should be a warning to you. Should be a warning. Now, that doesn't mean it will be. Very few people take advantage of a real warning. It can be dangerous to do little things around the house. You know, I knew a guy one time that, uh, that decided to, to... He actually was going to make an addition. He was going to add a, go about three feet on the end of one of the rooms that stuck out of his house. And uh, he got everything out. He got the sauce and the whole business out. And he was working away. This was on a Saturday afternoon when most of these idiocies are performed. And uh, he was out there banging away. And he cut the wrong piece of wood... And the whole back of the house just slowly settled like a balloon, you know, without any gas in it. <laughs> oh, after that, he had a lot of sawing to do. You know, he took the, the right action, though. What he did was just saw the back of the house off, cut it up for firewood, put a piece of tarpaulin over it, a hole there that was left, and that's the way he lives. So uh, what about the guy? Do you remember the guy here a couple of years ago got in a big hassle with his wife, and uh, they separated? And he just sawed the house right down the middle. <laughs> well, I know a guy that did that with a car, too. Uh, the best one I know is a guy that once did that with an Airedale. That was exciting. Well, I mean, you demand a 50-50 split, you're going to get it. The only argument is over what, what half you want. And uh, so he fixed it up. You know, he did. He did it humanely, though. He stunned him with a ball bat. So, uh, well, there's no humane way to divide an, uh, an Airedale... Uh, you know, you got to crack eggs to make omelets, as they always say. And uh, you got to crack eggs to make a, a split right down the middle of your property, friends. So if you've got a barnacle living with you, I would like to suggest that you listen carefully to this terrible story. George had hair. Yes, he did. He had hair. He had nerves. He was a dynamite person. And uh, George was living in his house. And uh, he, you know, having a hell of a good time in the house. It was a nice house, you know, it was okay, it was all right. And uh, his wife got the uh, the playroom rumpus room bug. And uh, she kept reading these dumb magazines, you know, how uh, these, you know, there's about 50,000 magazines that people read on how decorator hints, all those magazines, you know. And, of course, nobody can ever have to actually do any of this stuff. Uh, they have a great little three-part article on how to take care of that useless space in the basement and make it really dynamite. And it shows the pictures in you know, great-looking places. One guy's basement is fixed up like the interior of the Queen Mary. You know, that's got all these life preservers, and he's got the... Well, anyway, George decided to do it. And so the first thing he had to do, he reads the instructions. It says, remove the wallboard that is now in place, if such there is. If not, remove the plaster, because you're going to have to do that to put up all this teak wood you bought, see? So George is down there with all his tools, and Peggy's upstairs uh, ordering things like pinball machines she's going to put in her great, her great little rumpus room, and she's ordering all that stuff that never gets used. I know a guy that's got 15 different pinball machines, a pool table, never been used. It sits down there now. So George didn't know about that. All he wanted to do was to get it done so he could get her off his back. So he tears down some of the wood. Tears down more. He tore down more. And it was dark down there. 
And he had one of these extension lights, you know, the kind that mechanics work with. So he's tearing boards down and old pieces of newspaper. So it was really weird. He, says that he thought that was just empty space back there, and the, there were cinder blocks and stuff. And he's pulling the studs, pieces of paper, and jerky keeps pulling off. And for months now, I have to explain something to you. For months, George had been believing that there had been mice in the house. You know, he heard little rustling sounds once in a while in the basement. You figure you got mice, see? And uh, so he's turning this thing out. He's going away, working away down there, and Peggy's up there ordering pinball machines, and she's ordered three pool tables. She's ordered a roulette wheel. She's ordered a grandfather's clock, all the stuff that's going to go in this fantastic teakwood playroom. And he's down there pulling away. He's got his light pulling. All of a sudden, he sees something in there, see? And he pulls again. He says, well, it must be the mice in there. He pulls a little more. Ah! George uncovered... In his wall, a nest of rattlesnakes. There were at least 34 rattlesnakes, including two that were maybe 30, 40 feet long. And they were rattlesnakes. I want to tell you, they came pell-mell, hell-bent for a lecture out in the rumpus room. George ran around screaming and yelling, dropping planes, hollering like crazy. Incidentally... It was the only rumpus room in our neighborhood that an actual rumpus actually occurred. George Reedy Rumpus, you should have seen him, screaming and yelling, running up the steps, hollering like mad. And Peggy says, get back down there and finish it. They're going to deliver the pinball machine in a half an hour. He says, damn it, you get down there and look. She says, why? He says, get down there and look. She ran down the steps. Wah! 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 These snakes came roaring out. She ran back. And what do you think Peggy said to him? What do you think? She says, you do anything to make me mad. So, friends, we have studied the life and times of a barnacle. The trials and tribulations of a ship bottom. If the shoe fits, well, put it on, if you dare. <laughs> you never know what's down in the basement. A lot of people don't even have a basement for that reason. to Gene Shepard, humorist, author, and recipient of the Mark Twain Award for 1976.